incredible opportunity to hear us speak. Uh, my name is David, not Duncan, and I'll try to fill his shoes as best I can. Um, but no, honestly, it's been incredible to have opportunities to do this. Like Kiros mentioned earlier, having opportunities for our younger generations to get up and speak and to participate in worship together, worship in the service that we can put together um, in one faith and just one body is truly incredible. So thank you for being here. Um, as I thought about what I wanted to speak for like the next 15 minutes or so, because we'll hear from me and Jason on a couple different topics, but my topic is going to center more on this one book I've been going through. Uh, I don't know how many here know of Ben Stewart, but he has a few books. He used to lead Breakaway at A&M for a number of years. <laughs> All right, let's calm down. Um, <laughs> I'm a Longhorn, so there's that. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll let it slide for this one night. So, uh, And he centers on this idea of, like, how do you know you are loved by God? And he centers that on the relationships we have with others around us. And so if you have a Bible present or an app or some form of a device to access the word, we're going to be going out of 1 John chapter 4 tonight, with me at least, and more specifically through the verses of 9 to 16 in some way or another. So if you turn there, um, just to have it ready, I want to tell you all about some of the research I did on this when we think about this idea of godly love versus worldly love, right? This idea of how the world views the word love. It's kind of this quick fix infatuation, like that's what the word love means in just the world in general, I, I would say, right? And as I was in a deep hole on Netflix, and I say deep hole, it was really just kind of being thrown at me from the surface, really. And it's this show called Love is Blind. I don't know how many are familiar with this, it's maybe a guilty pleasure for some. I turned it off after like 10 minutes, so uh, I, could, I really couldn't. So, um, <laughs> and basically the show is set up with the idea that they take, you know, 10 people, 10 guys, 10 girls, they set them up in, in rooms that are completely walled off. All they can access is just each other's voices and just what they're telling each other. So no physical aspect to this whatsoever. And it was blowing my mind because it was like after day three, this, these two people are like, this is, this is the person. I know. Like, this is my forever. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm right here right now, getting on one knee. And, you know, some people did. And they proposed right there. They don't even see them. They're just one knee proposed to a wall. And uh, I was just amazed by it because then, I guess, you know, if I watch long enough, I get to see after the fact of these 10 days, they get to actually spend this time with these people in the real world and in real-life situations after professing this lifelong commitment to each other without even seeing them. And things go awry, they break down, and I don't think most couples even make it through the actual marriage that they said they're going to be entering into, right? And so that's like this worldly form of love I kind of see through whatever fast bit entertainment we need to throw or say, I just need to be married because that's what needs to be done. And it kind of throws out this whole aspect of the serious and deep and all-encompassing form of who God is in the form of he is love and what he means by loving us in the form of his son, Jesus. So uh, Ben Stewart makes these three points of how you know you're loved by God. It's three things. I know God's love is a plethora of different words we can add to it. 
as we read in, you know, different books like First Corinthians, I think it's like chapter 13, where it gives the different qualities of, you know, love is patient, love is kind, right? Um, but we're going to talk through three things that Ben Stewart kind of identifies, and he uses First John chapter 4 as an example, or a, a picture, where he says God loves, God's love sins, or does, God's love sacrifices, and God's love stays. We're going to go through each of those three points real quick as a personification of what God's love is in our life. So, First John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, we read here, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And when I read that, and then also just think about what this idea of this first point, love sending or love doing, it's an action-based word, right? Like you are initiating something. You're expressing, it's yourself, you're expressing itself in action. And it's, it's the, the stigma that we think of when we think of like the classic love stories or even the more modern ones, right? Like any of the movies or books we read through, uh, the, the, the guy pursues the girl. They pursue the beloved. The lover pursues the beloved and goes across the world, crosses oceans, breaks out in the song, which I won't do here, um, writes poetry, sends letters, uh, initiates conversations. Like love sends, God's love sends in the form of he initiates. He will come to us before we're even made worthy. We don't need to be. Because Jesus' son did that for us. And I think of a story uh, as far as in, in, in sight of how love expresses itself in action and not just in our words, like it kind of was signifying through Love is Blind, that TV show. Um, and I think of a friend, uh, Reed Watler, in college. Uh, we're both in Beta Upsilon Chi or Bucks, and we're known to be a stereotypical man of intention. Okay, We know how to pursue women. No. <laughs> it's a requirement. You have to pursue them in a godly manner. That's what it's, you sign up for bucks, that's how you're going to live your life. Um, but I think Reed took that a little seriously as we, uh, or he was a couple years older than me. So I sat down, was hearing how he first met his girlfriend, soon to be fiance, and now they are wife, one child, and uh, are happily living together as a Christ-centered couple. Um, I remember Reed telling me after, it was like the first date party, that he went uh, with the first sorority they were getting in, encountered with. And uh, the girl that he struck up a conversation with and got to know through that time went very well, because as you can imagine, he told a friend after the fact, he's like, I'm gonna marry that girl, kind of thing. And kind of the same semblance. I'm like, man, you just made that supposition just right then and there, like you, you barely know this girl, how do you know that already, kind of thing. And then I later found out that when he proposed, he presented this, you know, collection of letters that he had written, like pretty much after every date they went on, he like wrote a letter uh, identifying, you know, his adoration, his love, and just what he saw in her, how he wanted to explore their life together, and just things like that. Um, and I'm just like, man, you're, you're literally Noah from the notebook. Like, how do you, like, <laughs> I, I'm talking to you right here, right now. <laughs> and uh, it was just amazing to me because seeing, I know there's countless stories of how Husbands pursue their wives, or, you know, men pursuing women in a godly manner, Christ-centered love. And 
what I loved about that story was it wasn't just words to him. He saw Shannon and said, I'm going to marry that girl because there's something special there. And I, I, I want to explore that. I want to, I want to get to know her in that and, and get to live life with her. Both of us having this baseline that Christ is our center. And I love the way Ben Stewart puts it because he says, you know, when you have a source of life, then you are a source of life for someone that you're trying to pursue and vice versa. And so that is one aspect that we see on how God's love sins or does. And so let's go to the second one, love sacrifices. Now, we can all, we all know how God's love sacrifices through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for our sins. But what is the aspect of what that took, right? You know, we can read in, I'm going to go to a couple different points here. So 1 John 4.10 that we just read through earlier, we read, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Kind of the placeholder, if you will. He took it all. He gave it all for the beloved, that namely being us, me, y'all. And um, it kind of gives this imagery of just the Old Testament uh, temple and the sacrifices that were made. That was just the system that was never going to make us worthy, never going to make us right with God and fulfilled. And Jesus did that on the cross, right? And I want to personify that point where we read in John 15, 13, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's saying, greater love has no one than this, that you know, someone lays down their life for their friends. And I want to go through a story that personifies this, that Ben Stewart mentions. And I know there's countless of other scenarios and, and people we encounter in our life that have stories that are maybe some semblance of similar, a similarity to this or uh, of a different nature. But um, Ben Stewart recounts this one story he came across where in 2016, Sally Monsoor, who's the mother of this uh, since past uh, Navy SEAL, Michael Monsoor, um, she was christening the largest, most sophisticated destroyer in the United States Navy called the USS Monsoor. And the reason why she was christening this big, like the biggest uh, destroyer they had in the United States Navy, apparently, in, in, since 2016. And the reason why is because Michael Monsieur was awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously for something he did while in action. And he was an, part of a Navy SEAL team that was tasked for, you know, basically rooting out enemy, fi enemy fighters from Ramadi, Iraq. And he got caught in a position where he was with two of his teammates and a grenade got thrown in to the position they're in. Now, in split-second decisions like that, that thing could have taken all three of them, but in the split-second decision he made to jump and take that blast from that grenade, he gave his life. Those two friends survived, and he gave his life for them. And so President Bush posthumously presented him this Medal of Honor, and one of his teammates said during the speech, he said, Mikey looked death in the face that day and said, you can't take my brothers. I will go in their stead. And... I think it's important to see how this real-life example, and I'm not saying that what Jesus is not a real-life example, but just in this current modern day where we see someone laying down their life for their friends as Jesus presented in John 15, 13. When we see this, we see threads of God's love being lived out, expressed through physical action, through emotional, mental, spiritual action, 
that we see in our life with friends, families, you know, so on and so forth. And I like the questions that are presented here because it made me think about those really hard, dark days that we face where we're questioning on if Jesus loves us, if Jesus loves me, or loved ones that I see going through something traumatic and horrible, and I just question why. And so I like, I like the way these questions are presented here. He says, you know, those men on that roof of Michael that day, do you think they ever questioned whether or not he cared for them or loved them? Do you ever question if he treasured them? And I don't think we would question that. Like, of course, Michael treasured, he loved them, he, 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 bounced, he hopped on that grenade without a, split, a second thought. And so we can kind of extend that question to, you know, do you question if Jesus loves you? Because Jesus gave it all on the cross. We can look at the cross and know he did the exact same thing, plus much, you know, much more to an eternal aspect. And, you know, I, I tell you all that you are loved. If you trust your life to the Son of God, namely being Jesus, you'll be under God's mercy, not his judgment. And knowing that that love extends through anything that you think can't be washed away. That mercy extends to anything and everything throughout your life. So uh, Michael and Jesus, obviously, is the perfect personification. He was love embraced, and he extended that love to everyone around him. And so we have love sins, love sacrifices, and the last point here is one that I particularly really adhere to is, is love stays that I really emphasize with just some personal stories and, and the story I'll give y'all here as well. And how God's love stays, it stays in the muckiness of life in the downtrodden aspects that we think, um, you know, that we're not enough and then we, we're just gonna think that we're, we're not worthy for that, the people that are with us. So we try to push them away. God just completely dissolves that barrier you know, and he, he just accepts us as we are, and he wants all of that because he knows that we're not going to be perfect, and we experience everything because we're human. Um, so, First uh, John chapter 4, verse 13, we read, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And as Michael Hughes read earlier in verse 16, we read, And if we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. And I just, I love this word abide because kind of simply put, I know that there's different studies that you could be put on different uh, verbs and terminology throughout the Bible, but just simply put, abide means to simply stay here. Simply stay right here. And <clears throat> one uh, account that Ben Stewart re re recalls here is this one of who he labels the most attractive couple I'd ever seen in my life. And I was just like, man, should this couple be on, like, Love is Blind or something, or what? Like, uh, but I just, and he goes on to basically keep uh, admonishing, or not admonishing, uh, edifying them as far as saying, you know, they're also extraordinarily kind and generous people, which made them easy to root for. They were just the all-star couple. And as they neared their marriage and their engagement, the girl was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And over the next series of months, she started losing 
the use of, uh, full use of like her hands and was not able to lift her arms even high enough to just brush her hair just with what comes with uh, things like multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's and other things like that. And I, I couldn't help but think of instantly uh, my Nana and my grandparents on my dad's side as well. And what I found truly amazing about this story is how this girl saw herself as a bleak prospect for the man that she was about to plan to marry. And she pulled her fiance aside, told him that it was okay if he wanted to call off the engagement because she didn't want him to feel bound and because she, she wasn't feeling worthy with something that she couldn't control. And it was amazing because he didn't consider that offer for a second. He's like, what are you talking about? I, you're my beloved. I want to spend everything in all things with you. This isn't going to change a thing about how I love you. And so when they get to the wedding, they say their vows, and they're both shaking because, you know, they get to the part where they vow, I promise to love you for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. And he simply smiled back, gripped her hands tightly, and said those with complete confidence and, and courageousness and boldness and, and, and strengthening her right into her eyes with that, knowing that no matter what we go through, I'm going to be by your side. I'm going to accept you for everything you have going on in your life. And I would say God is the same way with us in, in, in more than one way. You know, that word of abide to simply stay right here. He does this because that's what love does. Love stays. It stays through the hardships and the low points of life as well as the highs and the mountaintops, right? And I think when we understand this, we can know that we can rest in his loving care, knowing that he initiated it, he sacrificed everything for us, and he wants to stay in it with us, and he calls us to do the same with him. He wants, to, he wants us to pursue him like he pursues us. And so when we think back to what, you know, I'm talking about this silly show of Love is Blind, you know, what kind of love do you want to live? Do you want to live the quick fix, infatuation, hopefully temporarily satisfying yourself in some way or another, but, um, or do you want to access that all-encompassing, completely fulfilling love that can be found in every aspect of life and that can pretty much just ex extend into every aspect of your life? That's the question I'll leave with y'all. Thank you.